Was Andrew the one that helped you get uh, the podcast back up? Yeah, he did get the podcast. He didn't help me. Don't, he did it. Yeah. No, don't don't you think you owe him a dinner for that? <laughs> <laughs> oh no, he didn't. <laughs> Got him. One, two, three. Welcome to Apologetics Live. We're here to answer your questions and challenges about God and the Bible. Meet your hosts from Striving for Eternity Ministries, Andrew Rappaport, Dr. Anthony Silvestro, and Pastor Justin Pierce. We are live, Apologetics Live, here to answer your questions every Thursday night, 8 to 10 Eastern Time. You can go to ApologeticsLive.com to join in the discussion if you have any questions about God and the Bible. As we say here, we can answer any question you have about God and the Bible. You don't believe us? Come on in and give us that challenge. Now, you heard that intro, which means that, well, Justin, what do you think that means, that intro? Um, somebody owes you dinner. Yeah, it sounds, that must mean that Matt Slick is going to be with us tonight. Okay, we, we, we'll, we'll have to make Matt, and you know, I, I, I'll have to let Matt explain that, but I think he'll have a, he'll get some, some boasting out of it now, finally, after nine years. I was going to say, he finally got it. Yeah, he? yeah. Uh, this is going to be, a, so let me give how this show came about tonight. Um, and this is, this, I should say, this is a ministry of Striving for Eternity. You can go to strivingfraternity.org, check out our resources. If you want to have one of us come out to your church and do a, uh, a seminar, weekend seminar, we come to churches and we go to smaller churches that can't afford. So don't think that just because you're a small church, you can't have us come out. No, that's exactly where we want to go. We want to train up your people so that you can then take it from there and continue that training. Things like how to interpret the Bible, apologetics, evangelism, social justice is a big one these days. We've been doing more of those, I think, this past year and a half than any other. So uh, you could go to strivingfraternity.org, check out there. So Matt Slick and I from CARM.org, we were discussing, he was putting out a paper on CARM at about can Christians defend themselves? And we were having a, a long discussion. We've had these discussions in least recent months uh, quite a bit. And we came up with the idea of having kind of a panel discussion here. And we have someone who I will admit that uh, I, I was nervous having him in, uh, but not as much as you are, Pastor yeah. Justin, because this is one of my old seminary professors, and you're now seminary professor, so you really have to be careful because well, you're going to be, be having classes with him. Yeah, he so, will be soon. So you're going to have classes yeah. with him. Uh, he's yeah, a name. So what I've decided to do, just so you know, is, is just not even speak. So oh, I'm no, no, no. You're going to have to. And- <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, I, I know Dr. Bergraff, and he wants you speaking in class. <laughs> so well, that's good. This is a name that many of you won't know, but he was my first choice in, in coming in as Dr. David Bergraff. He's with Shepherd Seminary, and I'm going to let him introduce more about himself. But I knew him back at Calvary Baptist theological seminary when he was the dean there and so he was the first choice to have in i was glad that we had him in his dissertation was in the issue of just war when i took a biblical ethics class with him by the way justin just so you know any class with him is great but you need to take a history class with him okay because he's there history is one of those things where you have people that just don't know how to teach history well they don't make it come alive it's just dates and people's names and it's boring yeah. Not so with him. In fact, I actually had we I had him out at my church once to do it. We were doing a conference, and he, 
he weaves through his systematic theology background with his history background so much so that what ends up happening is you end up getting a history of theology because he 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 goes in and explains well why did they argue this because this is what was going on and so the, he he gives that background so well so I ended up saying hey can you can you do a history of theology and I think he actually the the I think a semester or two after that there was a class in the seminary history of theology when I was like oh that was great but he he'll, yeah. you'll love having him I. I will admit at that conference I just spoke of, I was nervous because he was taking notes frantically. And I thought like, oh no, this is like back in seminary. Uh, He's taking notes. I'm going to get this paper at the end with all the corrections, everything I said wrong. And you know how you preach and you're thinking things like that? Yeah. Afterwards, I get done. I'm like, okay, what did I say wrong? He's like, nothing. I said, well, you were taking notes. He's like, yeah, I was taking notes. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, really? You you see that one person and you're, you're thinking, what? What did I do wrong? I know I said something wrong, just the way they're looking, and you're just you, you almost lose focus, <laughs> especially when it's somebody that you really uh, respect yeah. and that you really want to, to to understand what you're saying and and appreciate it. So yeah, well let's let's yeah. bring in someone that's known by many here, Matt Slick from Carm.org. Uh, I, I, I at least owe it to you to let you explain why I played that clip at the beginning, and uh, and and then let you get a little gloating in. Because you did get me well, back. The reason is because you're 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 an immature person who likes to rub victories in uh, for years at a time, and uh, so those of you who are listening who know the story, uh, unfortunately, how it goes is this jerk right here would repeatedly. I have to admit it, repeatedly outsmart me when it came to uh, buying lunches and dinners. I was even out at his place once, got up 20 minutes early to go buy the dinner, and he'd already paid for it. I mean, <laughs> just stuff like that. And then we got started. For, for we got nine started. years, for nine, nine years, years, you've been trying. And, uh, <laughs> but then on your one, your 100th show of this show, I, had, I came on for 100 here. That's right. And I had sushi delivered to your house. (laughs) And uh, so that's the only way I could get you. I had to be out of the state and to surprise you and stuff like that. It finally works. And I get a little bit of gloating uh, on that. All right. And so, so I should say the other, Justin, I forgot to say the other person I wanted on was uh, Phil Johnson. He does have some old blogs. That were very good on the on this subject. Uh, he dis, he said he couldn't make it tonight because he's got an elders meeting at Grace Community Church. I told him to get his priorities straight. You know, no. I mean. Yeah. <laughs> but but uh, let me welcome on for the first time, Dr. David Burgraff. Um, it it is a distinct privilege for me. I I, I probably know you the best here, um, but it's a distinct privilege to have you on. Let me, uh, for our audience, if you could just introduce yourself a bit and and what you're up to lately, because this is the first time I think you and I have spoken to each other in probably, would you say, like 15, 20 years? 15, 20 years, perhaps, (laughs) yeah. And I was amazed when we got on you, you look old. So (laughs) (laughs) So we go way back, though. Uh, Back, um, I think I met you before you were in school and seminary. And uh, had just a really good time together. And even then, I met you at a conference in New Jersey. I think I was speaking at the church there, uh, invite on a Saturday or something. There was a conference. And uh, uh, we sat together over lunch or something, and you just keep asking questions upon questions. But they were all good questions, and it's like, 
find, there's a thinker in the room, and I, and I enjoyed that. It really did. Well, and uh, we had about Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it was Andrew. Yeah, <laughs> it was Andrew. But that continued all the way through. So, no, thank you for the kind introduction. It was way, way over the top. Well, but, I think uh, I think we actually met probably in in I'm going to say ninety or ninety one. I would yeah, think. Uh-huh. Yeah, something. Yeah. yeah. I had just come back from doctoral work about that time, and uh, and and I think it was in Freehold or one of those areas yep. or something. Yeah, and uh, good and memory. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, I can visualize the church. It was a great opportunity, and we've been friends. And uh, when Justin mentioned, "Hey, uh, he knows Andrew," is like, "Oh my goodness. Oh, no. Go. oh no! <laughs> Here a month later, we are." And so, uh, I want to thank Justin for that opportunity as well. Yeah, well, absolutely. I, I'm just, I'm really am thrilled. Um, personally, I'm just, you know, I, I've been enjoying myself. The the seminary, I, I pulled up the website and I'm going to try to get over here for everybody to be able to go see it. Um, the seminary is just, it's excellent. The, the, the pastors, the teachers, everyone is excellent. And I'm really yeah. enjoying myself. Yeah, th- thank you. The The seminary is about 18 years old and actually one of the best kept secrets uh, go- going on. And it, the reason is it, it actually is a, a seminary in a church for the church. Uh, uh, it was Colonial Baptist Church in Cary, North Carolina. Now it's in December, we changed the name to the Shepherd's Church, mainly because we're trying to do overseas work and always having to explain colonial colonialism in Africa or in the Middle East it's a little bit difficult and so um uh, we chose the name the shepherd's church because of the we are also we have a missions um we're sort of our own missions board with uh, the shepherds international but um the seminary uh as i said is here this year we topped about 200 students who are primarily engaged in the master of divinity master of arts doctoral degrees and uh, uh, we were just in a, a feature article in one of the magazines for ATS, the Association of Theological Seminaries, because of the 270 seminaries right now, seven of them are growing by double digits in the last five years, where most of them are either staying stable or decreasing, and uh, we grew 86% in the last five years. So that's been pretty exciting to be a part of that. Now, and, uh, for folks, give, give, give your background, because I know some folks might be interested even in what your undergraduate degrees were in, as well as your theological degrees. Well, I did not become a, a born-again Christian, a Bible believer, until I was 22 years old. Um, I had grown up in Minnesota, and uh, um, in a, my parents had been in a uh, Catholic background, and so that's I was raised through parochial schools. Uh, after high school, I went into the service. That's when the Vietnam War was going strong, so I... Uh, enlisted and uh, served in the Army Reserves and active duty for six years, got out and um, uh, went to the University of Minnesota and graduated as a chemical engineer in biomedical nuclear engineering and uh, was going to go to medical school. But my wife and I both, my parents got saved, uh, and that was almost by accident, and we became 
believers shortly thereafter, and then um, I ended up feeling called to the ministry, and so we started seminary in Minnesota, that's our home state, and uh, did a Master of Divinity, went on to do a Master of Theology, pastored for 10 years, church plant, and then pastored, um, the church grew in Philadelphia area, actually was Hershey, Pennsylvania area, uh, for 10 years, and then um, I pastored back in my home state of Minnesota for three. I was invited to come back to the seminary and teach. During that time, I was working on a doctor of ministry degree, went on to do my Ph.D. at Dallas Seminary, graduated in theological studies, and uh, went to teach at went to teach as a full-time professor and chairman of department at uh, Calvary Baptist Seminary and uh, became the dean president and uh, was there for 17 years. And then uh, for three years, uh, I was asked to come aboard at Clearwater Christian College, did that. And while I was there, I was invited as a speaker here at uh, the Colonial Baptist Church, Pastor Stephen Davey. And we struck up a wonderful friendship. He was starting or leading his church to start a seminary. They did. um, And he was bringing together professors, many of them who had been friends of mine for 30 years or so, uh, coming out of like the Master's Seminary, Dallas Seminary. Uh, As a seminary, we actually uh, birthed a seminary that came out of the womb as an adult. Uh, (laughs) We brought professors who had over uh, 200 to 300 years worth of combined experience teaching and 200 years worth of pastoral experience. And so on our first blush through where most uh, ATS seminaries get, you know, go through a process to get accredited, um, our first blush, we were fully accredited by ATS um, for the full first seven years before we had to go through review. So the program has just taken off and we're all about church planting. Um, we set out in 2016 to do 20 churches by 2020, and we've done that. We're now trying to plant 25 more by 25, 2025. So we plant churches, and we're doing revitalization all over the country right now of churches. And uh, we have extensions in Wyoming, Texas, um, uh, uh, we're, uh, South Carolina, Florida now, Georgia. So um, we're, we're launching, and we do sites in churches, too, that we call clusters. So there's some pretty exciting things. We're doing some innovative things in seminary training right now. Well, that's neat. I don't know if you saw in the private chat, but Matt says he wants to do his doctor of ministry. So we'll have to hook you two up afterwards. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, we just launched it last year, having a wonderful program. Uh, we've got some firsts with ATS, um, and it's exciting. And we we're, we have a national conference now that's, uh, and you'd know the speakers, many of them, they range from uh, this year, Al Mohler, Erwin Litzer, to, you know, the Costi. Well, you got, you got Alexander Strzok, so you got to have a Jersey boy in there. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, <laughs> Owen Strand, Bruce Ware, yeah, you name it. So we have about 40 speakers. So let, let's get into the topic tonight. And Please. folks, plus, if you see on your screen, you can see it's it's uh, shepherds360.org is the URL. Yeah. I'll mention that just for those who are watching, uh, who are listening on the podcast later. So 
<clears throat> this has been a big issue lately, is the whole question of can Christians defend themselves? How far can they go? What, what justifies, uh, what can we do as far as self-defense? And, and then the issue of just really just war theory. <clears throat> now, you, uh, Dr. Bergeroff, you, that was your dissertation, and mm-hmm. I've sat in class with you going through this. And just for the audience to understand, in, in, in ethics classes, you were going through explaining just war theory, and, and you're saying, you kept going, well, I, I can't go into more detail. I can't go into more detail. And my mind was being blown with the different things. I'm like, I've never even thought of that. I never thought of that. You know, it was, it, there was so much to it. And I know Matt, when Matt and I were talking, he was like, you know, I really want to get someone that is that knows this stuff well. There's someone we can ask questions to and things like that. So we want to spend, and I know we got some people backstage, we, we want to spend a, the first part of the hour or so just first giving you an opportunity to kind of bro- open up what just war theory is for a while, explaining it, the whole idea of self-defense, uh, and then kind of just allow us to pepper you with questions, <laughs> essentially, kind of like a classroom. <laughs> so if, if you could give us an overview, uh, what is just war theory? What, what do we see as biblical principles when it comes to self-defense? Sure. Um, thank you. I think what you have to do in, in that is a, a perhaps for a moment, uh, talk just war theory and keep it on a national level where a nation can defend itself uh, and then bring it back into individual self-defense. Uh, and so if you can break it into two categories, that might help you quite a bit. Um, uh, I got interested real quickly just a little bit in this because I was doing my doctoral work in the area of theology and probably one of the most um, important figures in what we would call the Western Church in understanding theology was Augustine. So I was doing my work in the area of patristics, uh, and, uh, and it was interesting because as I was studying the concept of or dealing with Augustine, I wanted to deal with uh, how how theologians do theology. And so during that doctoral work, I was doing a lot of work uh, it, on that topic, the theological methodology, uh, beginning with the Bible, its hermeneutics, its interpretation, and then how do we make these profound statements that we do as theologians and as pastors, and people go, how'd you get that? And so I wanted to figure out how do, how we do that. And Augustine is the ideal model because more he has done more research and, and writing than uh, other and there are more libraries dedicated to him uh, at, next to the Lord of any other um, man who's lived. Uh, and so I was studying him, but something in the process is he actually was the first Christian to write on a theory of war. And when you study it, he actually didn't. He it just he laid out the principles uh, that deal with, can a Christian go to war? Uh, prior to him, there was a, a lot of ambivalence about Christians being involved even in the military. And, and is it proper for a Christian to be in the military? And can Christians kill? Especially when Jesus said, you know, in the sermon, on the mount, turn your cheek, which is probably one of the most misunderstood passages of Scripture to begin with uh, when it comes to this whole discussion of war and killing. 
Um, but um, uh, what just war theory is, is within the idea of um, Christianity, is there a way to discern whether a war is actually proper? Is it something, can Christians go to war? Uh, is war then something that God would as it were, permit. And then, so if we, if that is possible, then what would be the criteria for which then to say, okay, these criteria are met, therefore we can engage in a war. We can commit ourselves and our troops, our, our sons and our daughters now uh, into uh, this war and, and, uh, and, and as they sacrifice for their nation, is it even proper? Or is it something we're going to have to answer to God for because we stumbled into it? Once we engage in a war and we've met those criteria, then how do we conduct war? So the two categories of just war, in the words, the terms JWT, just war theory, mean the justification for going to war and the justification for killing in war. And uh, and then how do we wage the war? And so there are several criteria for then um, what's called uh, jus in bello, and, 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 and that is the uh, justice for going to war, and then uh, jus ad bellum, excuse me, and then jus in bellum is the idea of uh, justice in war, how we should act. So those are two categories. We can go into those deeper. We can talk about the criteria. Um, but it's important. And the United States of America has used just war theory uh, as its guiding principles. Most Christians down through history have, especially once we hit the Reformation thereafter. Luther, Calvin, Zwingli. Uh, uh, and, and great uh, theologians thereafter and pastors after that. as And then, uh, the, uh, for instance, in um, the great divines who will use then confessions and others throughout the church and, and, and canonists and jurists. And today in our country, you say in the United States, senators, congressmen, any from Christian backgrounds are going to appeal to just war theory. Uh, and Lincoln did, others did. Uh, when we went to a war right after 9-11, coming up on its 20th anniversary, when we went into um, Afghanistan then, or the Middle East, and then as we went to war again with Iraq, uh, every time on the floor of Congress, they're weighing out the principles, and they're talking in the categories of just war theory. And, and actually then it was Augustine picking up some early seed thoughts from Aristotle already on how the Greeks, then the Romans, used criteria for going to war. Uh, is this something we should engage in? Is it worth it? Uh, Augustine then came on the scene because he was asked by Count General Boniface. He was uh, um, writing in response to attacks against Christians that your God of the Old Testament is a killing God versus Jesus. So there's two gods. And uh, so he wrote to uh, Faustus, a Manichaean, and he spelled out then the principles for war. And he laid then the groundwork, the thinking, the theology that later got structured into what we call just war theory. 
Um, and, and so that's how we got to what has become then part of the Christian church the last uh, 1,500 years. So could you explain, explain what just war theory is? And then, mm-hmm. you know, let's dig into a little bit of how, you know, in our day and age, this is becoming popular, right? <clears throat> There's a lot of people, <clears throat> you know, specifically, like you look in Canada, where mm-hmm. government is, you know, arresting pastors, freeing people that are rapists and murderers, arresting pastors, and then chaining up their churches so that they can't go in. And, and that, that really became a big topic here on, on this show, even. We had lots of discussion yeah. on what should the church do? Uh, should mm-hmm. we cut the cut the fence down and go in anyway? Do we do as, as James Coates did by just going off-site and places like that? So could you explain just war theory, then explain, you know, what your view is on how we should handle uh, things in, in our, with our own country? Yeah, the, uh, I, I think, you know, to your, to your uh, intro right there, Andrew, what's really important is um, there's a host of questions that you're, you're raising there, and, and, uh, and it raises the question, you know, uh, uh, well, a, a couple of things. And if I can back up a little in Just War Theory and just sort of lay, the, uh, lay out the map, and then we'll start moving some things around on it or or if we could let's lay out the the chessboard and then start putting the pieces in there really are three and i heard it mentioned already here there are there are three categories that people find themselves in when it starts when we get down to the idea of what do we do in our society uh, one is the area of activism, which yeah. an activist holds that I'll support my government and, and whatever they say, because obviously they know what's going on. And here I am. I, I don't I'm not one who has access to the information they do. And they have all these great um, uh, organizations we have, you know, whether it's our CIA, our CIA, FBI, whoever. So uh, they they have the channels then of intelligence and, and, and means to gain then the, our, uh, from the intelligence community. I don't, therefore I have to completely trust them. If they say we need to go to war, then my job is just to stand up and salute and say yes sir and obey it in order to conduct the mission as they do that and so we just acquiesce to government that whole thing is called uh, in uh, for lack of a better term it's known as activism uh, there are of course objections to that because no matter what country you're in then if you believe that you believe your government's always right uh, and, you know so you got two opposing forces on who's right and who's doing the right thing and it, then it then you just become a national um, in, in that sense, there's no control because even if you're in an evil government, uh, you fall in line with, with evil leaders. Um, just then on the other side, you've got pacifists who believe all wars are wrong and we should not be involved. And you have categories there of resistance, uh, etc., uh, conscientious objection, um, and uh, which is a whole other category. Somewhere in there, in the middle, you have to step aside and say, okay, let's bring some rational, moral, virtuous thinking to this, the, the most devastating thing that humanity can do. And that is since the fall of man and uh, thereafter, we've been killing each other. 
and down through history, we've begun become pretty good at it. In the 20th century, saw it on a scale that became known as the Great War and the World War. I mean, you know, you start looking at World War One, and 39 million people were killed, 30 million of those being civilians. Then we get to World War II, only 20-some years later, and 51 million people are killed, and 34 million of those are civilians, and that doesn't even include the genocides. And since World War II, there's been over 150 wars with over uh, 17 to 20 million civilians killed. So uh, it just gets out of hand as it goes on. So uh, uh, it was then through, like Augusta and others, we need to, we need to somehow bring some sanity to what we're doing or, uh, or we'll just follow uh, bad leadership. We need to discuss this. And, and so with that in mind, uh, just war theory then is the concept. As I said, there's two categories to it. Let's talk, first of all, jus ad bellum, which is the idea, the justification for going to war. Now, this is going to come up in self-defense, too, because the justification even for defending yourself. But let's talk about defending a nation or defending another nation, a third party that you see as being bullied, picked on, or is going to be lose its national sovereignty. Can you come to their aid? So with that in mind, there's um, if you... It, there's about five criteria, and if you wanted to, you could look, at, for instance, in the ESV. One of the handiest is to take the ESV study Bible, go to the back under ethics, look up war, and you'll see about eight criteria there for just war theory as, as they've spelled it out there. But let me give you real quickly the criteria that are most common for when can you go to war. Uh, number one, there has to be a just cause. In other words, a just cause may be, as I said, to intervene for uh, an innocent third party, third country, or to punish an evil aggressor, to stop evil, or to defend your own nation from either aggression or overthrow. So it's a just cause. And, and the idea then it, with that in mind is um, going then for just cause you want to, if you want to, I could give you scripture verses, but the easiest one is just Revelation 19.11. When the Son of Man comes back, when Jesus comes at the second coming, we see him return and he's coming to wage war. And so, but there's a just cause. Number two, then, is in going to war is right authority. With that in mind, um, has a war been declared by proper authorities? Just wars are not private revolutions. A just war uh, is not someone who says uh, there are several of us in the state of Michigan, Oregon, etc., and we're going to go on a mass shooting of government officials because we feel they're evil. Um, no, uh, right authority has the in our country it's the u.s congress has to wage war okay and so with that in mind there's vigorous debate on whether or not we should commit forces to this war the money the resources etc and sends our send our sons and daughters into battle for us so it has to be one a just cause number two uh, right authority number three 
uh, just intention or the idea would be, uh, the, the, you know, what are we going to war for? And, and somebody, sometimes they call this comparative justice or right intention. And so the purpose of going to war then is to protect justice and righteousness uh, the, with the idea, a realizable goal of peace. And ultimately, it's not to their their just war does not permit you to go in with the idea of conquest of taking over land. We will expand, uh, and we can go imperialistically, and we can conquer, and we will expand then our country. In other words, we'll take over the sovereignty of another for our benefit. That's not at all. Um, It's not territorial conquest. It's not even revenge. Uh, As much as back in uh, when after uh, 9-11, well, we need, let's just turn that whole country, you know, into a parking lot. Uh, You can't do that, a dirt parking lot at that. You can't go in and just decide we're going to nuke a nation because look what they did to 3,000 of our people uh, in the trade centers. Actually, 2,977 of them died. So if if we go in, you know, with that in mind, you know, you can't just, it's got to be a goal of peace, okay? And then the fourth criteria is proportionality. Uh, And and that idea then is... um, are the potential gains worth the possible costs and sacrifices of human lives, finances, etc.? And so uh, you're not going to go for a Pyrrhic victory. Uh, Pyrrhic went in, lost all of his navy, but he won the war, you know, in, in ancient Greece. And so the idea is <laughs> when you're left with nothing, what was that about? Uh, so proportionality, you weigh the costs, you weigh the benefits, And so this just cause, right authority, right intention, proportionality, and then lastly, war is a last resort. And with that in mind, you use every negotiable, and we do that, nonviolent means of persuasion. Uh, to be to attempt, whether it's blockades, whatever it is, uh, and you give it a reasonable amount of time, and you're going with the right spirit. It can't be vengeance, can't be hatred. It has to be with the idea of gaining peace and protection, justice, etc. So those are the criteria for going to war in a just war category. Okay. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, and you, absolutely. And you can see there, Justin was quickly, or uh, Chris was quickly taking notes here, and he's put them all out there. Um, I'm impressed. That's so. Tr- <laughs> so we, we have students in the in the uh, audience here being good That's students. Right. <laughs> I was I, I was it. expecting Justin you know, to do that, but he just found it and well, posted actually, it. Real quick. <laughs> I was pulling it up from the uh, the legal uh, uslegal.com. It actually uh, lays out the same the same exact argument that you're making. Uh, what I found amazing about the argument and about the discussion is both of those, both the legal legal argument from uslegal.com and what you just said is based on a Christian worldview. Yes, it, it can, is. It cannot be based on the atheistic, you know, anti-God worldview because there is no reason for you to be just in a worldview of chaos. There's no reason for you to be just in a worldview that says, I should dominate based on you know, my ability to come and take control. You know, the survival of the fittest does not allow for a just war theory. So this has to be founded upon a Christian worldview. 
There's a there, and, and Justin, you raised some really good questions. Um, we the, there's the second part of this then that is known as as we talk about it is jus in bellum. And there's actually two criteria that can break down into a couple of other ones. But one is once you engage in a war, you, the, the, the criteria when talking about jus in bello, justice in battle, the two major criteria, and, and I know others will say, well, there's actually four, but let me just explain the two and it makes sense then how you get to four. One is simply the word proportionality. In other words, proportionality in the use of force, okay? Uh, the idea then is um, the you go in proportionate then to the task or the mission at hand. For uh, With that in mind, then um, in World War II, we would do that uh, with when we went to war with Japan, for instance. We, we didn't just bomb every island. We just went to the key strategic ones, and that strategy was let you know, wither on the vine. Uh, in other words, why kill unnecessarily? It's just going to burn out. Uh, so there's proportionality. Uh, in, in other words, no greater destruction should be caused than the need to win the war. And uh, that would be Deuteronomy 20, 10 to uh, 12, if you looked at some passages there. The other part is the most important part, and sometimes it's it's known as non-combat immunity or the idea of discrimination between combatants and non-combatants. Okay, um, so proportionality and non-combatant immunity. And that is wars are to be waged by soldiers in as much then as it is feasible. You should, as the, as the war then is pursued, adequate care must be taken to prevent harming non-combatants as much as possible, and and trying to um, keep from destroying the land of those people, because many of the people in many of those nations, Afghanistan, for instance, many of the uh, nearly 30 million people of Afghanistan uh, are not in alignment at all with mm-hmm. Uh, radical Islamists, okay, with uh, with um, the Taliban, Al Qaeda, etc. Those people themselves are finding themselves suffering. All you have to do is even watch some of the uh, television reports coming out right now, and you see in the streets of the city the people protesting, only then to hear the gunshots going off, and then they scream and they break up because the Taliban break them up. But you still want to protect those people. That's why you don't turn it into a parking lot uh, with that in mind. So the idea then is the avoidance of evil and you go into battle with good faith. In other words, um, you want to make peace with that nation so eventually that nation can be brought into uh, living in harmony with the the rest of the world, if it, if that could be achieved. So those are the principles for in battle. I was thinking then proportionality combatant immunity. And um, 
um, uh, and, and in the military, you often hear, uh, you know, we were doing Middle East struggles and whatnot. Why didn't we just keep on going and, and wipe out the government, do everything, just take over the nation? And, and, and that was debated in our Congress. They were given, here's the overall mission. We set out to do this. And, uh, you know, after 9-11, Bush went to Congress and President Bush then said, here's the mission. He took a lot of heat afterwards, uh, George W. Bush, for why didn't you keep going further? And he said, well, that was beyond the mission. And, uh, and then we were going beyond then proportionality. So there, uh, we, we take this pretty literal as a nation. Now, the whole thing of, 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 uh, and, and I have, like, you can go on on the internet right now. I have a library full of books, though, that by many people is just war theory even feasible in a nuclear age? Number war can just war theory. The hottest debate going on today is can just war theory be practiced in an age of terrorism? Because the word terrorism itself tells you what terrorism is about. It isn't about combatants fighting combatants it is it's based on striking terror into the populace okay you win by fear you frighten people into submission and the result of that then it it violates everything about your theory but should we if we deal with with terrorism can we practice uh just war theory principles and i believe we can um, then there's the whole issue: Can, can we use nuclear weapons? Um, and and is that, does that fit the criteria of just war theory? I think on the large scale, probably not. However, I think there there can be tactical nuclear weapons rather than some of the uh, the large scale nuclear weapons. But just war theory, you know, we went from having uh, Russia and the United States. I think at one point the United States had just under or just over 30,000 nuclear weapons. Um, Russia had around 29,000, uh, I mean, uh, uh, not, uh, yeah, uh, 29,000. Uh, right now, we have about 46 since um, 2016, I think. We have about uh, 4,600. Russia has about 4,500. And there are right now nine nations that have nuclear weapons. And um, and so, you know, that raises a whole nother discussion. But um, OK, <laughs> absolutely. Well, let, let me do so, this before we, before we bring Matt in and start again some questions. I think this is going to be the best time for me to give a word from our sponsors because <laughs> we may not get you a good chance other times. So uh, the, the, we're. This show is put is a host or, or supported by My Pillow. If you guys want to go and get, you guys know that I say this all the time that I absolutely love My Pillow. Um, and if you could go to one eight hundred eight seven three zero one seven six, that's the eight hundred number they gave to us eight seven three eight eight hundred eight seven three zero one seven six, or go to mypillow.com, Use promo code SFE. I recently got their towels. 
and I have been very satisfied with them. Uh, I've loved the pillows for years. Uh, recently got the towels and found them to be extremely absorbent, which I was surprised at, and uh, very lightweight as well compared to most towels that are absorbent. Uh, really good stuff built here in the United States, which is nice. Uh, they run specials. They have the promos that they have there, and you can only get those with a promo code. So if you use the promo code SFE, not only are you getting uh, products made here in the United States, uh, good products, but you're also going to be supporting Striving for Eternity and putting on this show. So we thank them. And uh, with that, I'm going to bring everyone back in. So, so right. Matt, you had, and I'm going to put this up for folks, um, two articles that you have. One is at karm.org. And if you just go to karm.org and search, the, search, should a Christian go to war? That's an article, I think it was back in 2008 that you wrote that one. But the article that you and I were recently discussing, and you've been going back and forth quite a bit on, is this other one. And again, go to karm.org and just do a search on, do Christians have the right of physical self-defense? It's an article that was put out sometime last month, uh, you put that out. And very lengthy, goes through Old and New Testament arguments, um, so real quick, Matt, let me give you a chance to, do you want to respond with, you know, cause you haven't come on to the show since you've written that argument. Uh, do you want to go into any detail what your views were with that? And, and then sure. what we could do is engage with Dr. Bergeraff on some questions. Sure. The, the reason I, I wrote it is because we have, uh, as CARM, the intergalactic empire that CARM is, we have some missionaries <laughs> in Africa. Well, you got to, you know, I tell people this is the world, this is the intergalactic headquarters right here, and uh, they're impressed. Uh, we have missionaries uh, in Africa, uh, Malawi, we have them in um, Nigeria. Nigeria's been under a lot of persecution. So what they're doing is they're taking CARM articles of different topics. They've been going around for months and months, years, apparently. Uh, and uh, because my articles are quick, I say quick and slick, they're succinct. You get right to the point. And uh, having Bible studies and teaching pastors. And then this issue came up of can we defend ourselves because Christians are being murdered there. And so I said, okay, let me do some research. And uh, so I started researching it even more. And uh, I knew that the article would be used by many people in Africa to justify whatever the article justifies. So I take it very, very uh, seriously, very carefully. So uh, long story short, uh, I have six, a summary of a summary. Uh, We pray for uh, and love our persecutors. We seek peace with them. We have the right of verbal self-defense. We have the right of legal self-defense. We have the right to flee persecution. And we also have the right, but not the obligation, but the right of physical force, if necessary, in order to protect ourselves and or others. And uh, what I, the analogy I kind of use is you're at your house. And because this is not a national thing, this is you know personal. What do you do? Because like in Nigeria, the, the nation is not protecting the Christians. The I don't call them radical Muslims. They are true Muslims. They go in and kill. Uh, that's what true Islam teaches out of the Hadith, out of the Quran. Uh, so the radical ones are the ones who are peaceful because the Quran teaches in Surah Nine teaches killing, going out and seeking people, destroying, taking over the world, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. At any rate, so. What do they do? Can they use a knife to defend themselves, a gun to defend themselves? Can they, you know, different levels of questions. And this is why I had to write that and answer different kinds of questions. And uh, hopefully uh, I did a good job. So um, 
that's where that, that's the basic. We can go in particulars, conclusions and stuff. I went into the Old Testament. I went into where Jesus says, by a sword, uh, Jesus drove the people out of the temple. He made a weapon to do that, uh, to defend God. God's honor, and then what kind of weapons are okay for Christians? What do you do when a government fails to protect? Because one of the obligations of a government is to protect its citizens. So what if it fails to do that? Then how far do we go? These are not easy topics. You don't just solve them uh, in one paragraph. You just don't do that. But you can give general principles, and that's what I did there. Um, and then, you know, issues of uh, aggression against an impending attack. You know, so I use an analogy is uh, and I have a friend who's uh, retired border patrol and so he knows a lot about the laws what you can and can't do and it was we had a good discussion he gave me some good insight and I agree with what he was saying um, so if you're in your home and someone's outside of your home yelling on the sidewalk that they're going to come into your home and they're going to kill you and you have your I have an AK-47 you have your weapon and uh, so you, you can't shoot them He's just threatening. He's just saying stuff. Uh, what if he has a gun and it's, it's pointed down at the ground and he's yelling, he's going to kill you. You still can't shoot. What if he raises the weapon and points it at your house and uh, is going to fire? Can you shoot him then? The answer is yes, because it's a imminent threat where it's going to happen and you have that right then of self-defense. Well, then the question then becomes, what do you do if you see him walking across the street with a gun pointed at you, coming at you? Can you defend your house there by preemptively striking? Now, you know, that's not so easy to answer. What do you do if there's 50 people coming down a road and you know they're coming at you to destroy you and you can, in a, a narrow pass, take them out? Do you take them out or do you flee? These are the, all kinds of variables and questions, and these are the kind of questions that the people, on the average Christian in Nigeria, in Africa, and some parts of the other parts of the world, are facing. What can they do? What can they not do? And um, those are the kind of questions. Maybe we could talk about some particulars. I don't know, but I came up with some conclusions, and I don't know if my conclusions are all right, but I did the best I could to answer them according to Scripture. And uh, I don't claim I got it perfect. But I certainly tried to make it biblical. Well, let's let's try to go through some of those right here and and see if you know what we can come up with. So, you know, this this is a point where I, I really would like to have where we can kind of just do kind of panel discussion. I know we have people in the background, but just asking uh, Dave ask you some questions on some of this stuff, Matt. I know you've had a, a bunch of questions. You just raised some, so let me let me just let the two of you i'm gonna i'm gonna actually just let the two of you kind of engage a bit and i'm gonna put justin and i in the background um and, and just you know matt you can you guys go back and forth a bit sure well let me just jump in if i come home we can just use this and keep going but if i come home and someone is in the process of of attacking my wife she's across the room i can't reach her before he's gonna kill her and i have my gun on me boom and i shoot him that's just because it's protecting of someone else right correct it is yeah. all right yeah uh and a couple of things you i i concur with as you're talking and and i haven't had an opportunity to read your article but you're uh exactly right and uh the the an old testament passage and i know we you know uh, uh you know there's things in the kingdom etc you know old testament 
kingdom. However, there are principles laid out there. Uh, Exodus 22, 1 through 3, you probably use that in your argument of, uh, and that talks about, and uh, right after, you know, the in Exodus 20, Jesus, I'm, I'm sorry, God gave to the nation of Israel the Ten Commandments. Commandment number six, thou shalt not murder. Okay, and the term, the, the, the word that's used there in Hebrew for murder is reitzach, and uh, it has the idea then of um, the unlawful taking of another person's life, and, and unlawful, you know, we were just talking about some of that, and that, that's how it ends up, murder. Never is reitzach ever used for, uh, in war. That, that Hebrew word is never used in war or defending uh, and so uh, a lot of people say, but the Bible says thou shalt not kill. Uh, wait a minute. It says thou shalt not murder. Okay. And there is justifiable killing. And you hit exactly on that, even to the point where you said the use of weapons. Uh, Luke 22, there's 36 through 38, where he's talking about uh, sell what you have. If you don't have, buy the sword with the intention of what? Buy two if you can. And and Jesus' apostles apparently carried swords with them. We know that Peter had one, and somebody was short of an ear for a little while. <laughs> you know, so so uh, they can. And um, uh, the the use of weapons to stop someone, like you said in that case, breaking into the home, that is exactly the biblical illustration in Exodus twenty two. And, and that idea that they're breaking into your home. The interesting thing, Matt, is this. It says if they're breaking into your home at night and you kill them, nothing will be, however, during the daytime. And that's at that point, then the idea is you can stop them before harm. But how, if they if they have, you know, it, you in other words, biblically, we also see in Proverbs where if there's somebody harming somebody else, you have to come biblically to that person's aid and defend and even take their life if necessary. You're muted, Matt. Lost a microphone there. Yeah, I put myself on mute. Yeah, Matt does is when that there's it, more scriptures that talk about defending others than yourself. Yeah, that's that's what I discovered. And so you have more of an obligation to, to step in to help others. Now, and, yeah, and John Piper's put out a, an excellent article. If you remember that one where it said, you, you know, uh, he would not take somebody else's life. And Augustine felt that way, too. Um, uh, I, I, I agree with much of what John Piper said. I know Wayne Grudem uh, in his article in his politics book on ethics uh, as uh, in his Christian ethics as well as his politics. He says, I agree with John Piper to a degree. However, no, he says he I think he didn't go you know, complete that. You need to defend. Yeah. Yeah. If someone came in, I may it never happen. I don't ever want it to happen ever, ever. But because of what I do for a living, I have to carry a gun mm -hmm. uh, because I've had death threats. I've been swatted, followed in cars, Satanists say they're going to kill us, uh, you know, it, it, all kinds of stuff. But if I came home and I've thought this through it's, and 
you know, I've done martial arts, so I can get to a person and stop them. That's different. But if I can't get to that person in time or whatever is necessary, and I had to, I had to shoot in my mind here, sitting here. Yeah, I would. Would I really want? You, know, you never know what you're going to do until you're there. Right. But I think it's perfectly defensible. Yes, now, it is. Biblically, it is. Yes. Now let's say um, I come home. I'm driving in the driveway. I hear screams coming out of a neighbor's house, and the doors open. And I see a woman uh, running out, and she's bloodied, and she trips and falls, and this guy has got a bat over her, and I just, I'm out of the car by then, and I see, you know, stop, and he hits her once, and he's going again, boom, I got to shoot him. Okay, that's justifiable, because it's an imminent threat of, of uh, physical, probable, possible physical death, and you're st- you've warned, and you stop. You stop the threat. That's proportional. Because right. it's a death right there. So there you go. All right. Right. Now, what if you, you know, you get the gun and you're holding it and the guy looks at you, he stops beating his wife and he comes at you. Then what do you do? If you can flee, you flee. But if you can't flee within reason, and there's another thing, your, your wife is sitting there with you. You can't flee because right. you'll endanger her. So you tell him to stop, stop, stop. He doesn't, you know, and, you know, all these variables. Okay, well, what do you do as a Christian in Nigeria, for example? Now, we've got the Muslims, and uh, anyway, Islam is a world-class, satanic, evil religion. And I've debated it many times. I studied it. In fact, on 9-11, I'll be on ABN Sat TV hosting uh, uh, on uh, on Islam with you some speakers. It'll be fun. Anyway, so... In, in that country, they are not allowed to have weapons. Right. They're not allowed to ho- have guns. And so, but the Muslims, as an example, have guns and they come in. Now, here's a question. Can you then go find guns anyway to have a proportional defense? And my answer is yes, personally, because Jesus says, Luke twenty two thirty six, buy a sword Right. which is a, a weapon of, of – it's a, it's a lethal weapon at that time. And um, because the government's failing to do its job, its obligation, you then have to take care of your own as well as, as others. So that, what do you think of that? Well, your problem is going to be the government is, is never going to, in a, in a, in a Muslim con- country like that, will probably still find reason. And that's the problem you have with advising the Christians there. They're in a lose-lose situation. Right, they are. They are. And, um, and, and that is one of the great injustices that we see going on in our world right now. Because even if they – because the government in many of those countries – themselves are in violation of Romans 13. Uh, the government is to protect its citizenry. And, and, and verses 1 to 4, God mandates, and God even allows those governments the, the use of the sword, meaning the weaponry, to yep. defend its citizens. They yep. have let down the protection of their citizenry. And when the citizens then take it upon themselves, because of the government's failure to even think rationally as a government, um, and and mainly because of their religious ideologies as well that have become perverted on the part of governmental leaders, the people are in some very, very precarious situations even before they defend themselves. 
And, and here's uh, another factor. Because this is n- never like this is never black and white. No. In Islam, the I've I've talked to many people raised in Muslim countries, mm-hmm. and uh, they tell me across the board that Muslims respect force, mm-hmm. and they believe that if you seek a truce with them, and I could give you the history and why and what happened, but it doesn't matter. If you seek a truce with them, it's because you're weak, and so it emboldens them to go attack. Yeah. Well, you know that's part of the Islamic culture, and it actually is. It's what's taught in Islam. Yeah. Now, if you say, well, let's just make peace with them, by knowing that, now you're encouraging them unintentionally to attack you. So the way to defend yourself and stop is to get weapons and be aggressive to the point of you need to stop. Mm-hmm. It sounds weird, but in that culture, and that situation, it seems to make sense. Well, the, the whole idea of deterrent there, um, and that is one of the reasons, you know, carrying the weapon, carrying the weapon, uh, the rifle, the AK-47 in front, et cetera, knowing that at any time I will use it if I have to. I'm not advocating it here. I'm saying in those countries that, you know, the, the, the problem you're, you're dealing with with the, 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 the the Christians in Nigeria, the tragedy that they're facing is one of is is actually two things. One, we are told by Christ we will face persecution. Okay, so so can and we almost should expect that we may die unjustly for persecution. At the same time, you've got evil bullying, for lack of a better term, or others who want to take their life, which demands self-defense. So they're, they're, as Christians, they have to debate the two. Is this persecution or is this just hatred? Do you know what I mean? Uh, of, of my nation and my ideal, my nations, uh, you know right. what I'm saying? And so... That brings up another issue. We Christians are allowed to defend, but we're not allowed to take vengeance. Exactly. Exactly. Can't take vengeance. And so, as and and so, if this has happened to me to me because of my testimony for Christ, as distinguished, it's take my family or whatever. So, you know, there's that conundrum that the modern world lives in. Um, Peter and in Second Peter two. 12, where he talks about unbelievers will act like wild animals. Uh, and he says that, and creatures, they act in instinct. And he tells them then that um, uh, it is morally right then to defend yourself. Just the way David defended himself from an animal when he was attacked by it, he killed it. Peter's making an analogy that you can defend yourself or it, it carries, there's a syllogism, A equals B, B equals C, A equals C. But um, uh, it's it's a it's a, a really tough line for these folks. And, um, yeah, it is. It is. And, and if they practice the biblical principles, they're still going to find themselves out in the, um, at odds with the government there. Yeah, and, and, and uh, I, th- you know, well, that brings up another issue because uh, I've written an article uh, a while back on January 15th, the Christian's duty to obey and disobey government. Uh, yes. Yep. There's, a, there's actually an obligation to disobey Yep. Uh, we don't disobey because we don't like them. Now, here's a question, okay? So let's bring this up because uh, 
Uh, I, don't, I don't know about you, how you are about the COVID. I'm doing extensive research on COVID vaccines and everything. I'm doing a lot of research. And it's coming up on the radio show, et cetera, et cetera. At any rate, now, my opinion is from what I've seen of it, what I've just studied, uh, I don't trust the, the vaccine. Just my opinion. And if someone's had it, I'm not knocking you. I'm just saying this is just me. I don't trust it, and I don't want to take it. Now, what if the government says we want you mandating, as, as Biden is now doing it today, he's mandating that we take it. Now, as they're forcing essentially an experimental drug on us, now, does this fall under the right of self-defense to say no? How about that? <laughs> When they mandate it, they can, like he said, I have, if you, as you mentioned today, you know, he said, I have the right as the president of the United States to say, if you are involved in a government and you work for the government in some type of underneath the executive branch, I can tell you what you have to do. I think before I would react offensively in that sense of violently retaliating, the idea would be um, you may have to, by by holding to a view, I am not going to listen to you. Biblically, you would face the consequences like in Acts five twenty nine, etc. Knowing that, hey, if I do this, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna lose my job if I work for the government. Do you know what right. I mean? What do you and do? They, well. I think I think one of the things that would be brilliant to do, I mean, because part of this in this point is, at least in America, is we do have certain laws that allow us a right to do certain things like a lawsuit. I mean, I think it'd be amazing to see 80 million people in a class action lawsuit against Biden. (laughs) But but we have we have this recourse. Uh, You know, recently, um, you know, I, I mentioned this on, on my Rap Report podcast, was the fact that you look at what John MacArthur did at Grace Community Church when he realized he they felt that the, the church was being targeted. They didn't rebel outwardly. They said, okay, there are means that are legal. This is still fitting within Romans 13. I actually would argue it was the government that was breaking the law, and therefore they had an obligation to go to court and bring this up in court and say, we, we're challenging this. And I, I think that's the, right now, I would say, that would be the route to go with, with your question, Matt, right. is it, it well, needs to be taken to list, court first. I said, I said earlier, it's pray for the persecutors. And number two, seek peace with them. Three, verbal defense. Uh, four, legal self-defense. Five, flee, flee if you have to. And then six, use physical force if you have to after that. Well, one thing you got to notice too is that when you had um, the, what was going on in in, um, in Canada, the first reaction that you saw so many people saying was, "Let's go bust everything down, let's go fight, let's go to war." And as Andrew and I pointed out multiple times, that's not our first reaction. In fact, as we saw the just war theory, that's the last resort. Mm-hmm. The, the physical fighting is the last resort based on those criterion. What we want to do is use the legal means that are afforded to us. And as Dave just said, when we decide to stand up as Peter did and say, you do what you got to do, but I'm going to do this for the glory of God. Right. You also take the consequence, whatever the consequence is. But if we're stepping from the area of personal defense against bad people to defense against a governmental force. And those things play a little differently. So we have to recognize well, then, that as well. 
Okay, so what about this? Now, I tell people, uh, you know, Ephesians 6, 12, you know, we wrestled not against flesh and blood, powers and principalities. Okay, assume this and then put it in place, which explains why the zombocrats are trying to develop a thugocracy. And I couldn't get that. And one of the things that they want to do is... I love, is, the, uh, I love the terms you come up with, Matt. They just crack me up. Very Pauline. Thugocracy. Well, my spiritual Tourette hasn't kicked in right now, so I'm trying to be even politer. Um, I, I want to, you know, imprecations. It's tough, d- difficult to pray for the president and Bi- Biden and Pelosi and AOC and Harris and half of the other <laughs> wonderful people. Yes, lovely. Anti- people. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I say, Lord, if they're not elect, get them, you know, uh, imprecatorily. At any rate. Uh, I believe there's a place to stand up and resist. Uh, anyway, that's another topic. Okay. Now I totally forgot what I was going to say. It was really <laughs> important. It was going to be great. And it's gone, though. You'll what are they talking again. about? <laughs> well, we, we were we were discussing, you know, you were originally starting with the vaccines. And, and so let me, let me take with what you said. I mean, so let me take what Matt started with and go a little further. So say it's not just losing your jobs. They're coming house to houses, as actually they are doing in some areas. They want to in, do. In, no, they, not that they want to. In, in New Jersey, um, they are going house to house in seeing who is vaccinated. They have came by once. Uh, one of the people in our church came by once just to see, have you been vaccinated? Do you need a vaccine? We're coming to those who might be homebound. The second time they were coming through to find out who was vaccinated or not. So now if they come to the house... And they start demanding, we are going to vaccinate you. You, you, we're, you know, they're there with the police. They're going to hold you down and vaccinate you. Self-defense. Um, then is there an opportunity for self-defense or not? Yes. I believe so. I would use what I could to physically stop them until they had to absolutely force me. I believe we won't. Uh, honestly, uh, uh, this may be um, a dress rehearsal for something more significant in the next decade. Um, but I, I don't think this particular virus is going to come to that point, but this is going to start setting up precedents and laws because what's happening right now, uh, Andrew, to your point, this is going to end up in court mm-hmm. as violation of people's rights. Mm-hmm. Uh, exactly. and, and, and so uh, the first government employees that start getting fired are going to go and bring lawsuits. That's right. And, and so this is going to this is going to get there. Out of this are going to come laws that uh, next time are going to be carried further. You know, and uh, they'll, they'll and so yeah, it won't be about the 80 million this time, but something significant is going to come. Yeah, we could talk off air. Um, there's uh, there's something called immunity debt, and I've, I've discovered this researching. Mm-hmm. So you have a certain amount of germs that the population gets exposed to in a, in a, right. a year. And the more you isolate and mask, the less germs you have, the less immunity strength you develop. So that after a few years, when something comes in that really wouldn't have been a big deal, now it wipes everybody out, you know, just just out. Then they shut down the economy and they they go even further uh, to demand. And this is the cycle that's going to happen. Now, personally, because of this, I believe, oh, I remember Ephesians 6.12. I believe ultimately that this is a demonic movement Mm -hmm. to suppress the gospel. 
ultimately. That's what I believe. And so we, I believe that we Christians have the obligation to strongly resist the government, strongly resist these mandates to not riot, but to petition, to gather, to, um, to protest, to, uh, to do so. I think we should all mail a mask to the White House. Every Christian in the country with a note, leave me alone or my body, my choice, and mail it to them. And because we, because whoa, pre-tribulation rapturism, you get out of everything early, you get to go away, the churches aren't teaching, the pastors aren't teaching. You, I know you guys do, but the pastors aren't teaching what they need to be taught, that Christians are becoming uh, wussified and apathetic, and they're not being equipped for the work of ministry. They're being given baby baby talks and diaperinian theology is another or slickism. You can go to my slictionary on CARM, slictionary, you have that. I got a new one today. Uh, Rantacostical. Rantacostical. It's someone, we had someone on the radio today who said he wanted to debate me, debate me on the radio, on, he wanted to debate me on, on the Trinity. And I, I said, well, you know, what is it? De- def- defend it. He goes, I don't know, but it's wrong. And I started howling, <laughs> laughing. And so he's a Rantacostal. He just rants against something he doesn't even know what he's talking about. <laughs> So anyway, I believe we Christians need to stand up, and and if we don't, we're going to lose our rights. We're going to lose the ability to preach that saving gospel. Ultimately, this is a spiritual battle. We need to think about it that way, that diaperinianism. That's right, Chris. And Chris, I owe him a big thanks. He saved my rear a few years ago. Uh, okay, for those, those who have been watching this— I have lost. I have lost a lot of faith in in me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, my faith is growing in you with new words like Rantacostal. <laughs> I need you as my thesaurus. <laughs> oh yeah, well, I'm Sescobedelian, so it'd be great. <laughs> no, my faith in, in in large scale Christianity coming together and doing something significant has really sort of hit the skids when we. When we wussed out on abortion, and that was something that we we really had an opportunity, and it was before us, and we had we had the science, we had the statistics, yep. we had the political platforms, and we didn't do the legal things we could have. And why is that? Because the Christians are too comfortable, remote control this, and microwave that, and air condition this and that, and they don't get out and, and have this weird suggestion Jesus made, go out and make disciples of all nations. It's a suggestion. It's an idea. And the whole bit, we'll do it later. Let someone else do it. This is a problem. It's a huge problem. Now, so really you know, quickly here, Andrew and I, we don't agree in a lot of stuff. He has the right to be wrong. And so we don't agree on, on I'm on mill. I think he's pre-mill. I'm um, biblical. Yeah, I'm, we're uh, biblical. That's okay. And you're outnumbered here. Okay. <laughs> I'm a Pino-Baptist, but not for salvation. As a coven- I'm a consistent covenantalist, and I believe that the first one's taken. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I, Wait a minute. What? We'll have a can talk you say sometime. that again? Well, can you say that again? Sometime. Yeah. I, oh, I can, trust me. I can ask some tough questions. You said, you said two words that don't mix. Consistent <laughs> covenantalist. Absolutely. You oh, are yeah, yeah, yeah. You are wrong. <laughs> I, will, I can get in there and ask you guys. In fact, you guys want to have a good discussion, I'll ask you guys tough questions. Okay? <laughs> but the point is that, and this is what's really good, we all disagree on some things. But what? that's okay. Well, we the majority sure doesn't. You do. Yeah, we're okay. <laughs> yeah. 
What's that? Well, we're all doing fine. Yeah, we it's just you, Matt. And, and actually, I'll, I'll say this to, to, to what I think Matt's saying is, you know, I've debated Matt Slick probably more than any other person that I know. We, we've wife. had, well, I haven't debated with your wife. <laughs> well, you might have. You. Uh, but <laughs> your wife and I agree. We both we both think you're wrong all the time. <laughs> well, yeah, her opinion but, doesn't count, and yours is useless. But, but the thing is that you and I have debated more topics. I mean, we've debated covenant theology versus dispensationalism, uh, gifts of, of tongues, um, Pre-mill, we, all-mill, post-mill. Baptism. We've, yeah. Rapture I mean, we, of the wicked first. We've, we've debated a, a lot of different things. And the thing, though, is, is that we, on the core issues, we agree. Uh, there's right. a lot we disagree on. We know where that, and we don't shy away from that. Who pays for dinner? Uh, I do. I got nine years of history on my side. Unless I'm there, then he says I'm not paying. The thing is, we get along and we can work together. We have gone out preaching together, done open air together. We've done things together, and that's the point. And we have to have this cross-denominational essence of what the essentials are so that we can rise up as Christians and fight the real enemy, not each other. That's what has to happen. That's what has to happen. I'm, I'm going to respond to Joanne. She said, "It's Justin pre-trib, pre-trib, one hundred percent." We gotta talk. We, I, we already have, Matt. We, you just you keep forgetting this stuff. <laughs> so we'll, we'll continue. Here's the thing. Back on subjects. <laughs> I, I have an idea that I think you know. I, I've thought about. It, I've talked about it in the radio. What if we have twenty six letters in the alphabet, thirty one days and thirty days in a month? Um, what if it excludes Sundays? What if we? Uh, Everybody, like say, you know, next year, September 1st, whatever. Everybody in America whose name starts, last name starts with the letter A, was to get a sign. We have an organization and you go to the capital or, you know, of your state, but if you're too far away, then you go to a town hall, whatever, with signs and everybody is there for a few hours. Everybody all across the United States on the same day. And the next day, the let people with the letter B go out there. And of course, you can mix, of course. And you do this for three weeks. And we have, uh, we have an organization, a national organization, where you join and you pay money to get into, five ten dollars $10 a month, so that you can bring lawsuits against people who are violating our rights and we can defend the people who are unjustly arrested and accused, and we can start working for righteousness sake. The enemy, because you know, Jesus even said it, Matthew 12, 22 through 32, a house divided against itself will fall. And this is the thing. We Christians have got to be united. You know, I've been suggesting this idea, other ideas, but the thing is, we Christians need to do something instead of talking about it. And, and if it comes down to self-defense of vaccines, if the vaccine is deadly, if the vaccine is deleterious, if it's whatever, we don't know. Yeah, well, actually, we're finding out more. Did you hear that Eric Clapton? What happened to Eric Clapton? After mm-hmm. he took the vaccine, he lost the use of his hands for a few days. Ooh. That's not yeah. good for someone. And, and we're finding out, <laughs> we're finding out that... Uh, these really nice groups called Facebook and Google <laughs> and Twitter, these really objective groups. They're Christians, uh, man. What's wrong with you? Oh, yeah. They're, they're wonderful people. They are censoring counter-information. It's very difficult to find uh, proper information, and I've been searching this for a long time. So all this stuff is real. We, as Christians, if we're going to have the right of self-defense, self-defense doesn't just mean someone comes into our home. 
Self-defense also means society is going liberal, saying pro-homosexual, pro-abortion, and we need to defend the truth of God, make a whip of cords, whatever that is equivalent to, drive the people out of the false churches and temples, however we do that, and defend the helpless and stand up in unity and do this. Okay, so let me me pose a question. So uh, this Wednesday night teaching uh, 1 Peter in our church's Bible study. Um, and that people can go to Striving Fraternity YouTube channel and see that. Uh, going through First Peter chapter two, eleven to seventeen, in there it talks about submitting to government. Romans thirteen has been challenged, debated very much in the last year and a half. So here, here becomes the question: Is Matt, um, what if God wants to bring Marxism to the United States? To punish Christian churches? Probably. Well, okay, so here's the question then. Just like he brought Babylon in to judge the nation of Israel, and they had 70 years of captivity because of their disobedience, going against Babylon, and and I think Jeremiah is the one who who ends up telling them, submit to this, they're submitting to a tyrannical government that's going to put them into captivity. That is God's will. So if, if it's God's will... I'm hoping it is not. I'm praying, Lord, please be this not be your will. But if it's God's will for America to go Marxist and we were to fight against it, then aren't we fighting God's will? There's what's called the decretive will, the prescriptive will, and the permissive will. And uh, we could talk about that. Uh, <laughs> But the thing is that we are to fight evil. We don't know what God's ultimate decrees are. And so our job is to resist evil all the way and consistently and and vehemently as men do this. You know, one of the things is we see these women going to these these uh, these councils, uh, these uh you know where they talk about school council school oh. meetings and the women they call them mama bears you know and i like that you know that, that's that's attractive if one had an ak strapped on i'm like oh baby but they're sitting there doing all this stuff right i don't see the men really doing it to, to this much now they are mm-hmm. but i see a lot of women well the men are the ones in the church who are obligated to stand up mm-hmm. when adam and eve were in the garden she sinned first the pre-incarnate christ said to the man where are you he didn't say, Eve, what have you done? He came to the men. Our obligation as Christian men is to stand up against unrighteousness. And I could talk about the women's response into this, but that's that's the thing. We have to fight Marxism and socialism because they're ungodly. The biblical <clears throat> means, the biblical governmental system is capitalist, self-representation or representation of groups, of others, the right of self-defense, to do with the land as you want. <laughs> it's right, Chris. Chris, Chris says you. Matt worries me sometimes. That's right. Chris, a lot of Chris, people. He worries me all, all the time. Me is, is I hear I hear all this, Matt. I love you to death. I hear all this stuff, and I'm going, man, it, it sounds really good in an amillennial perspective. But from a biblical perspective, <laughs> yeah. when I look at it, I say, okay, what's Christ doing in his timeline according to the Scripture? And as I look at the Scripture, it's amazing how these things fall in line with Christ returning for his bride, to take his bride. Now, the Bible doesn't say that we are going to have no problems and everything's going to be all hunky-dory, and then you know the Lord's going to come back, take his bride home, and then bad things happen. The Bible 
uh, the bad stuff is going to be all over the place. It's going to be, you know, everywhere. And it's clear that way if you just read the Bible consistently. You go to Matthew 13, 41, where Jesus says he takes the wicked out of his kingdom. And he says in Matthew 13, 30, the first one's taken before the Christians are the wicked. And you go to Matthew yeah, but if you look at that section, okay, you would actually so, find so out So I'm going to get us back onto track. So let me, ask, taken, let me ask David the same first. Let me ask David the same question. together first. Hold on. I'm going to ask. I want to ask David the same question. So, 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 Dave, what do you what do you think? Means that we look and we do. We don't <laughs> wait to escape. <laughs> I, I, we, we work until we, until we fall home. This uh, world's not our home. Yeah, Justin, you always want to bring in times up with it. We'll get raptured. Okay, so so Dave, let me ask you: in, in that same scenario, right? What what do we do if if it is God's will? That I mean, to bring Marxism in, would fighting against it be right or wrong? I mean. What kind of will? Well, I'm asking David now. <laughs> so when you get no, Matt ramped up, he's what? he's kind of like one of those wind up toys. Once you get him wound yeah. up, he can't. No, I love it. I mean, I love listening to him. It's like, yeah, okay, I'm not going to comment further. <laughs> it's just tough being right all the time. You wouldn't know what it feels like. <laughs> An ideology such as Marxism, or even what we find in CRT, that you know, it can, you can take some of this back to Marxism and whatnot. There's, there's no way that I uh, that in, within the same sentence, if it be God's will that this happens, um, because God, does, I don't see Him bringing that kind of judgment or. Uh, um, it is so anti-God that God's children, in the meantime, are to resist that, Correct. speak against it, do everything we have at our means to challenge it, and to point out the evils that it, it is telling an ungodly message. And our response needs to be to counter that at all costs. In the name of Christ, for the glory of God. We do this because it's right before God, not because we want to just be upset and stop somebody from doing something bad. It must be for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ that we Christian men stand up in righteousness and be willing to face the consequences of physical, financial, social persecution that's going to come. And that will happen during a tribulation period, for instance. When oh, it's going to. That's why you guys should, are going to know about it. <laughs> so, so here, here's the thing. Here's the thing that you end, that I think is often missed when people talk about submit to government. Um, when we discuss that and we look at you know we look at the passage, you know, such as in First Peter chapter two, verse right. thirteen, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. To every human institution. I I think this is the issue I find when it comes to submission to government. It's that first part that so many people miss. They they read it as submit to human institutions. Right. And and they're skipping the essential argument there for the Lord's sake. We we submit to the Lord in what the Lord commands us to do. Now, if if God gave us a word as he did for Jeremiah that there was a judgment coming and Babylon's going to come and do this, now we're in a different situation. We have God's will. We know what it is. It's clear. It's written. And therefore, going against that's going to be different than going against the Marxism today, which we don't know what the Lord's will is. We don't know if God is using Marxism to create a revival in the country. That could be his will. 
We don't know. But we, so we have to fight evil, but we fight evil not because we're Americans and we have rights. Right. We, we fight evil because it is submitting unto God. We submit to the, the, we submit, the reason we submit to ruling authorities, to governments, is because it is an act of submission to God. And this is the thing I think is really missing, that I've seen missing in most of the discussions and debates on this, is that aspect that we submit to God first, and it's because we submit to God that we submit to government. Exactly. Yeah. Unless unless the government becomes ungodly, then we're obligated to resist it. And if we don't resist it as Christians, then it becomes our God. Yeah. 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 So that was behind the American Revolution right there. What was that? That that was the basis for the American Revolution, which was that the was government became ungodly under King George. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know that uh, the Puritans are the ones who developed uh, at the request of of the people. They went to the pastors here when they were came over, you know, in the sixteen hundreds. <laughs> develop a godly biblical governmental system and representation and uh, right of ownership of land, self-defense, um, and, and things like this. And there's more, witnesses and trials and stuff like that. And they did that. And these things have been worked down into our country. And this is why we're strong, because of the principles that have been there. Well, aren't we Christians obligated to resist evil? Mm-hmm. Yes, we are. Well, then why is it that the Christians... You know, we here, we fight against it. We, there's different ways of fighting against it. But the Christian church as a whole is not doing it. The Christian church as a whole is weak and it's anemic. Uh, and the the, uh, the problem lies at the feet of the, of the clergy because they're the ones who have to teach. So this is where it needs to start and it needs to change. And they need to start speaking from the pulpit about political issues. The idea of separation of church and state and all this idiocy, this crap, it's not biblical. Every area of life is under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, politics included. I've even said in the radio, you can't vote for so-and-so or this person or that person. I'm not supposed to say that, but I do it anyway. If they affirm homosexuality and, and uh, abortion, you can't vote for them. Because yeah. they're ungodly, and we're not to support ungodliness. So I'm neither a Republican or a Democrat. I'm a constitutionalist. But, <laughs> yeah, and, you know, I, so, I, that, I believe the Constitution is really a good document. But anyway, Christians need to stand up. I believe that we're losing ground so fast that it's sliding down the hill that it's going to take major work from the Christians. And just like you were saying, Andrew, Maybe it is God's, you know, decretive will, so to speak, that he is ordaining this discipline upon the country for the failure of the Christians. And I tell people, there's two ways to to discipline, internally, self-discipline, or externally, when God works upon you. And it's the latter that's occurring now because of the failures of the Christians. We need to repent here in our own hearts and our own minds first, and then move out. Well, let me bring, uh, you're going to say something, David? Yeah, I was just going to mention. We, um, I think there's a there's a uh, we're at a huge statistical disadvantage, and I think we keep thinking that we're still a Christian nation. (laughs) And uh, you know, uh, three hundred. Yeah, we're three hundred and thirty some million strong in this country, and the total uh, number of probably born again Bible believing Christians in this country is between seven and nine percent which puts us somewhere around 27 million. 
you know, and since, you know, the 1960s with the immigration and naturalization laws that we passed, we have become completely pluralistic. There's approximately 1,270 different religions in this country right now. We are, by definition, then a pagan nation. And which is a wonderful opportunity for gospel outreach. Okay, but when you know, in in other words, we have on a mass scale, we could be reaching a lot of people. So there's there's some real problems already right there. So uh, the idea of appealing back to the fathers of this nation. Well, the majority of people in this country have no idea what you're talking about anymore. Do you know what I mean? And so, as man said, constitutionalists, most people have thrown out the Federalist Papers. They've never read them. So, you know, they have no idea. They don't know what they are. (laughs) They don't know what they are, nor the... The, the you know the the foundation of of a Christian nation so it's going to be uh, we're wide open for any kind of an ideological take right yeah. well actually the blaze says that uh, there's a warning now uh, someplace National Archives Records Administration determined recently that America's founding documents may be harmful or difficult for some yeah. users to view uh, so the Declaration <laughs> of Independence, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights are have warning labels on. So th- why is this the case? Because the devil wants to destroy Christianity, doesn't want the gospel preached. And yeah, well, when- yeah, we're probably the most organized Christian nation in the world, although Africa, there's they're in larger number, and even in China. But we're, we have yet the resources, the Christian resources, to, and, yeah. and we're not yeah. utilizing them. And, and that's one thing I'll say is, is that we have in, internally in the church, we have uh, false teachers, we have false doctrine, we have false theology. We have, we have all types of false things going on in the professing church. Not the actual church, but the professing church, and and you know what you, what you're saying, Matt is 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 right. What you're saying, Dave is right. Uh, that is why I'm you know I want to I want to go ahead and, and plug that Shepherd's Theological Seminary. These guys are are trying with all of the fibers in their being to push back against the tide of critical race theory, the the liberalization and the socialized ideologies that is coming into the Southern Baptist Convention uh, to to the false teaching that is going around. And they're trying to push back against that tide to say, look, we can have biblical, uh, God-glorifying men and women. Not and, and it's not just pastors that are going to be taught at uh, STS, but the majority of pastors that are being taught there are being equipped to stand against that tide. And that's what we need to be doing, and that's where we need to be at. And I, I want to encourage everybody, go check it out. If you have any ideas of that, go look at Shepherd's Seminary. Yeah, yeah so so that's uh, shepherds.edu is the is that. So let, let me bring Ron in. He's been backstage this whole time. Uh, Ron, for folks, is someone you've seen He uh, where he is makes comments. He's um, usually here in the background. Um and so this is the first time coming in, and I know we had Pedro in earlier. Pedro's always, he comes in and always has trouble connecting and then drops out. But uh, Pedro, if you're still there, if you got a question, you can ask online. Uh, so Captain Black Eagle, a.k.a. Ron, welcome. <coughs> I know that you're a regular in, in our uh, Christian apologetics group, but uh, you had some questions that you wanted to bring up earlier. I know I told you we were going to, we want to get some of this discussion out. So what were some of the questions that you had? 
Are you there? Oh, maybe he's not there. He got raptured. Yep. No, because the rest of us didn't, Matt. <laughs> I mean, if yeah. you were left behind, That's I would good. understand. I can see YouTube. I know nobody else is around. <laughs> okay, so, we hear you now. There you go. So here's the deal. First of all, I spent 20 years in the military. Thank you for your service. I've listened to everything you guys have said, and you are absolutely 100% correct. If it was not for the Christian worldview, the things that I would have done in the military would have me living in hell right now. Uh, The question I had for you, and this is a complicated question. I used to teach use of force when you can use force, when you can't use force, and to what extreme you can use force. And here was the question that I always pose to my classes. You're sitting here in the room. Somebody comes in through the door, and they have a pipe in their hand. They hold the pipe in the air, and they say, I'm going to blow everybody up in this room. Can you shoot them? The normal answer was, I don't know. I'm like, well, it's already too late to make a decision. Yes. And even if you shot them and they let go of that bomb and it still went off, you would still be in the same situation, but you have to make a choice. You can, and it's an instantaneous choice. It's not something like, well, let me talk with my friends to say what they think. You've got to do it right away. Uh, is that wrong? Well, to pose that question. To, is, it wrong, is it wrong to pose the question or is it wrong to shoot? <laughs> yeah. Well, yes, you should never pose a question like that ever yes. again. <laughs> I, I would say it's fine to pose the question. Is, is that, can I ask a question when you use that illustration? Was the pipe he was holding, was it, did you describe it as an active bomb? Yeah. No, and I didn't do it because you'll never know if it's an active bomb or not. Okay, yes, because that's that's what I was, my answer was going to involve just that. I was, my answer would be that I first have to believe, I mean, if it's a, if it's a pipe where I can see both ends are open, I'm, then I'm not believing it's a pipe bomb. I I have to believe it's a real bomb. So if I believe, so my answer would kind of be, complicated in the sense that I don't think it's as simple as a yes or no because I don't have enough information in the hypothetical to answer. So I, the first thing I'm going to have to decide is, is it a genuine threat that I think that more than just myself are going to be harmed by whatever he has? I know the liberals will say, you shoot him in the hand because that way he, he doesn't know. For, simple, for folks to understand, uh, trying to shoot someone in the hand or in the leg in a split second is very, very difficult to do. There's a greater chance you'll miss and harm someone else in, in a crowded room. You go for the largest mass of body, which is the center part of the body, which is why you would shoot there. So I would shoot there. Um, so I guess Chris Honholz is saying, shoot, shoot the bomb. Matt, you, you got you to gotta talk. <laughs> but the, so- I think the closest illustration is what we learned like in the military, for instance, that I would it, not... Not knowing if this is C4 or whatever you're dealing with, remember, um, and we even awarded men medals for this, some most often posthumously, consider it in the area of like, that's a grenade. So what do you do? Somebody sacrifices their life for the sake of the others. And that's where I was going to go with the the question, uh, with the answer. Um, From a Christian perspective and a law enforcement perspective here, um, my my duty is to defend life, to defend and protect them. It's 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 almost the same realm when you're dealing with uh, firearms and you're having to shoot somebody or not. 
you have a, a group of people come in and they're they're shooting up whatever area, which happens. Um, oh, how are you justified in taking their lives? The question's asked constantly because Christians want to know. Yeah. I look at it from this perspective. I'm not doing this to take a life. I'm doing this to stop the taking of life mm-hmm. and for That's the gospel's sake. I'm doing it. You're exactly right. For the gospel's sake. And here's why I say that. If I can stop the bad guy, the guy's right. got the pipe bomb, and if I can if I can get to that pipe bomb and cover myself with it, I know where I'm going, guys. Right. I have no doubt that God, I'm going to heaven. Christ saved my soul. Uh, I was a wicked, vile sinner. God saved me. I wasn't looking. He found me. He saved my wicked soul. I am now obligated. To be the man that's going to stand on that pipe bomb, like like they've just yep. said, this is a grenade. And no matter what condition it is, I'm jumping on it. The bad guys come in the door. I'm going to stop them if I can, not to take their life. I want to, cl- to clarify this. This is not to take a life. This is so that all the other pagans in, in the community can see that I have died to the glory of God, to serve Christ for the gospel, and Andrew can come along and say, you know why he just did that? Because of Jesus Christ. And you yeah. need to know Christ is your Savior. But let me, you were given another moment. Let me, you know, that's for, folks, for folks listening, let me just emphasize what you and David, why the distinction made there is if you have a grenade or, or a pipe bomb, okay, shooting a person does, here's the question that ends up having to be asked, and I think this is where Ron's probably getting to, does that stop the destruction? No. In in fact, shooting them, depending what it is, if if, the, if it's a grenade and they already pulled the pin, shooting them guarantees that it's probably going to go off. It enhances it. It enhances it's a pressurized it. trigger. Yeah. So so the the thing is, you're you're. It's not always as simple as just one or the other, because there's a lot of things that you have to take into and and. For folks that are listening to this, this, this is what we're hoping you will get through with something like this. This is the we've said this throughout the show. You've heard it by by Dave. You heard it by Matt. These are not simple things. These are complex things. It's not always a simple answer, and there's a lot to be looked at with this. And therefore, one of the things that really bothers me lately with Christians online is the the attitude of if you don't agree with me, you just support evil. Um, there's a lot of complexity in these issues, and it's you need to take the time to understand why someone comes to the conclusion that they come to. Do not just say that, well, if you don't agree with my conclusion, well, maybe they didn't think of the things you thought about, or maybe you didn't think of the things they thought about. L- let me just tell you, Matt wrote this article on CARM, and I, I think, I think Matt, I'm, I'm just going from memory, but I, I would say half dozen to a dozen people that were on the review list that we're going through giving comments so matt yeah, just, you and i talked about it yeah and and you know so we matt doesn't just write these articles and puts them out there's there's a bunch of us that get in on this and and he bounces ideas off things then he writes things and bounce and then there's people who say hey can you review this can you check this why because all of us have a different perspective on things we need to look at that and not just accuse people of being wrong right out the bat yeah. So, just kind of my soapbox, but Ron, let me go. I didn't know if you had more questions. But, you know, that was actually the whole reason we asked the question. It wasn't, you know, are you right or wrong? It's what would you do? And yeah. that's what you guys need to talk about is what will you do if that ever happened? 
uh, it's like when you shoot somebody, why are you shooting them center mass? Because if you shoot them in the hand, you can still kill them. Yeah. Yeah. The shooting of someone, at least from a military perspective, was always what got you in trouble. If you shoot at someone with no reason, then you're going to go to jail. If you shoot at somebody for a reason, but then you shot, well, for instance, at their arm and you miss and you kill kids in a, in a schoolyard, you're going to go to jail. Um yeah. It's not an easy question, and most of it isn't. War is not an easy question, but I do appreciate the answers you guys have given. It's perfect. Thank you. You have any other questions or for us tonight? Oh, there's so many for Dave. I mean, we're talking, you know, theory of war. I look back at Jonathan when Jonathan is standing on a hill, coming down that hill, killing Philistines left and right. His father Saul is hanging out in a bunker trying to see figure out what's going on jonathan has confused the enemy so crazily that they're killing each other that's what we're supposed to do we're supposed to confuse the satan worshipers and the heretics but out there they're so already they, in power they're called democrats they're very confused <laughs> oh no the republicans are too, so. Republicans yeah, are we got too many republicans right. jumping in the same boat <laughs> um, true but if that's what it's about, it's about confusing the enemy, getting them going after each other, not us going after each other. That's all I got. That's right. You guys did great. I really enjoyed it. You know, thank you, Dave. Did you want to comment on that at all? No. Okay. So let me let me just piggyback off Ron what you said. You know, Matt. If anyone hasn't figured out, Matt is crazy. But let me give one example of his craziness. He decided. Not to go to Dallas, Texas to debate one atheist, but two atheists, two separate nights on two separate topics. So they only had to prepare one debate. He had to prepare two. Not a smart thing. He handled both of them brilliantly and won both. Um, Especially when his, (laughs) when his, the guy he's debating uh, the second night, like, Actually, it was like, oh, let, let's not do a cross-examination. Let's just yeah, talk. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's how you know someone lost. Then he goes on his own show for two hours saying how he won. No, you lost. Um, but he got upset. He did several videos I found oh, out. Oh, yeah, yeah. Heck, I want to get down there to Austin. I want to dig a church down there, have him come down. I want to do a, a thing on, on atheism and <laughs> uh, have some debate discussions with atheists. So, anyway. hey, man, let me ask you a question, if I may. Sure. Uh, this this is about you, uh, and Uh-oh. this is the first time we've had a no, no, uh, it's a good one uh, to me. Are all of your articles and things you've written, or at least recent, are they on Carm dot org? Uh-huh. The yeah. site's um, almost 26 years old. I've written probably five, six, I don't know, thousands of articles. And I have uh, a few other thousands I haven't even released yet. We also have other uh, helpers and stuff like that. But, yeah. yeah. And then a good search engine to find them. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. And, like, uh-huh. you know, I get a little obsessive. I wrote 182 articles on annihilationism. A little obsessive. Just a little. Yeah. And so I, when I study something, I just dive in. And I, believe it or not, I'll just say this. People know I have Asperger's. And uh, so there's dis, there's um, advantages and disadvantages. One of the advantages is I can remember patterns, numbers, and I can be really obstreperous. Uh-huh. No. <laughs> I, I can confirm that. <laughs> I'm anxious to read it because I've written in the area of annihilationism. I'll look that up. Thank you. Oh, yeah, I got good arguments against it. And uh, calling right. out some people uh, on by name who are teaching some damnable heresy inside yeah. of annihilationism, right. physicalism, yeah. and stuff. Like, 
Now, now here's the thing, Matt. When you when you did that, you we did those debates down there in Dallas. You and I went down there. <clears throat> I don't know if you remember this, but there was a, and I don't even remember there was some there was an atheist that was online. Something had happened that within Christianity, we'd say that disqualifies them from, mm-hmm. you know, from being in what we call ministry, right? Right. Uh, and it was interesting because when we were there, we had a lot of professing atheists there, and I, we went I, out to dinner. Oh yeah, we yeah, but but I and, was and asking I had them the same birthday as me. I remember that. Yeah. It was weird. But there was there was I was asking many of them about that individual who had oh. you know basically had an affair and different things, and it was interesting because. The overwhelming response was they would they would ignore it. They would if they recognized it as wrong, they would justify why he should, still should be a, have a platform and things like that. And there was one guy, and I, I think you'll remember this. We spent a lot of time with him. Uh, cowboy hat. I'm not going to give the name. He used to be a regular on the show, uh, but he he actually said when I asked him, he said, "Look, Andrew, I like you guys. I like you. I like Matt." But here's the thing. He's doing a great job for our side. And it's not about what he does in his personal life. It's about beating Christians. And, and I remember after that, we went to dinner and, and we, we were talking about that. And we realized this guy understands what Christians should be doing. Is yeah. that we should be recognizing who the enemy is and it's not each other. Right. Yeah. It, it's it's not. Let's have all our our squabbles on Facebook in public so everyone could see. They they're actually unified in the idea of attacking an enemy. And and this is one of the reasons I think so many Christians don't really like. Why are we losing these things? Because they're very clear in what their goal is to put an end to Christianity. Yeah. We're not so clear in spreading the gospel. And, and by the way, right. notice the difference there. Our our objective is not to put to to put an end to atheism, in the sense that we got to wipe them out. It's it's to spread the gospel so that they they know right. the truth. There's a big difference between those two, um, and so I, I think that's the the thing that I, with this particular topic, Romans thirteen submission to government. Man, I have seen more division uh, on this subject um, that. You know, online and elsewhere, that is quite disappointing. Because well, they, people want to be able to have something to give them an excuse to not be responsible. Submit to the government. Don't think. Don't do. Don't worry. Just submit. That yeah. means I can go about my business. I don't have to worry about anything. But true Christianity is not easy Christianity. Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow after me on a daily basis. He says, if you don't do this, you're not worthy of me. Go out into this into the world and make disciples of all nations. I personally don't understand how any Christians, real Christians, can sit around and do nothing when people are going to hell. Now, I'm not saying every mom who's pregnant and got three, three kids on the floor, you know, has to go out and do evangelism. Of course not. But we have certain callings and certain abilities and certain things that within our context that God has given us and equipped us to do. And, and another thing is that we need to be ready to make mistakes. Too many Christians are afraid to mess up. You know, Andrew, you and I have, have preached. We went out to that place in New York. New York Union Square. Union Square. And I remember that. And, uh, you know, no one speaks perfectly. And I remember, I don't know if I messed up or not, but I, you know what? I don't care. I get up, I'm going to talk. 
and we do the best I can. And we have to not be afraid to take chances and take risks. When I was on a daily show, it didn't work out so well <laughs> what they did. But in other areas, it does work. We have got to be as Christians, take chances and go forward. That's why I like to hear stories of failures as well as successes, because failures are also successes, because we're doing something. I believe we need to trust God and go forward. And that we can, because we have that banner. We have the Lord Jesus Christ. We have the power of that gospel. And he wants us to do that. And if we're in his will and we're preaching that gospel and doing what he desires, then he's going to open up the right doors at the right time the right way. It's his job, not ours, to open up those doors. Ours is just to go through them. To be obedient. And be obedient. I know. One of the, the things that uh, has been refreshing for me right now, I'm teaching a course, um, uh, an, an advanced course on patristic theology and uh, just camping in the first five centuries. Uh, and uh, many of the students have not had anything like that in history or theology. And the thing that uh, as you read the epistles, the, the number one theme James was writing to Christians in his epistle on how we now live an early Christian church. But Peter writes what it is to be a Christian living in an alien culture. Mm -hmm. And you'll start to see that. As you start to read the Apostolic Fathers, that first they're the first generation after the Apostles, and they cover the first and second generation. So you got letters like First Clement, Second Clement. They're not at all inspired, and you can see the drop-off right away in spirituality from them. But the thing that you notice is they would write, and some of them are very weary and tiresome to read through, but the, the theme that they were trying to deal in the first... 50 years, and then in the next 100 years, and then in the next, as we went through the these the apologists, and then the, we went through the, uh, I mean, we come with the apostolic fathers, then the apologists, and then the polemicists, and then we get to the theologians, that what they're dealing with is Christians became comfortable in the cultures they were living in. This has been the plague of Christianity, yes. the acquiescence to culture for 20 centuries. Mm. Okay. Amen. Amen. And, and, and that's where it, it, today in, in the, the world in which we live, the modern world, we, 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 as, as you mentioned, Andrew and Matt's been talking about just brought up. And that is we look at America and we expect our government and we, ex, we expect it to give us uh we are for Christians. We we've joined the culture. We are owed this. This is my rights. Mm. It comes down. To, you know where I'm going with this. Yeah. You know one of the things though. Also, and I remember you teaching this in one of either church history one or two. I forget which one. But I'm going to show how much I actually paid attention and remember it. But you you always talked about these periods of a pendulum swing, mm-hmm. where, where there's always the the pendulum it swings out one way and people go to always the extreme and then it swings back, and yeah. and how we're always seeing that in church history in our in the theology and I, you know my prayer is that maybe with you know everything going on and I actually think that Joe Biden has done more than Donald Trump ever could in waking up uh, conservative Christians to say, oh, the, the, like all of the things I was taking for granted are being taken away. <laughs> like it, it's time for me to actually 
take my faith serious and do something about what I say I believe. Hey, and you know what? It's only taken eight months. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I imagine what it's going to be like in three years. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but but this Look is a, this how far is we have slid away yeah. in eight months, which means uh, if you want to use the Old Testament term, sleeping, you know, on the wall, and yeah. uh, and, and and we have a we have a very very complacent lethargic Christianity right now, and I think we're on the verge of of people becoming very serious in the pew mm-hmm. because they're now experiencing it at work. And the first and and let's go back to the COVID vaccination for a moment. For the first time, for many of them, it's like wait a minute, I have to think, do I, do I, what, what do I really even believe in something now that is striking my family and me? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And you so, know, and it's not their Christianity being shaken yet. This yeah. is, we're, we're, this is just a, you know, starting to experiment for many of them. Well, you know, years ago, I won't give all the details, and it wasn't bad or good, just how life is. I had to make a decision, and the decision to be as godly and forthright, according to my character, my heart before God, I knew it was going to cost me a great deal. It was the loss of a ministry over it, and I stuck with what I thought was right before God. And I'm going to tell you, it cost a great deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it did. And it took years, actually decades, for my wife and I to financially recover from stuff. But God somehow provided through all of it. A lot of times Christians think, you know, these morons on TV with the perfect hair, perfect teeth and all this stuff. You know, God wants you healthy, wealthy and all this idiocy. <laughs> you know, they think this is what we deserve. Because Jesus is a blonde-haired, blue-eyed, Caucasian surfer dude dressed in a woman's nightgown. And so this is who they think Christ is. And that's just not the way it is. When you live for Jesus, there's going to be persecution. God has granted that we're going to suffer, Philippians 1.29. Not yes. that we want to, but it's, it's going to happen, and we need to be willing to, to, to move forward. And it's a reward. It's a blessing. It's a blessing. Yeah. Unless, I've been through it. Yeah. It's a blessing. It is. Yes, it is. Yeah, we're alien strangers, pilgrims. Walking, we are light in a dark world, and we are being opposed in a, yeah, a persecution. Right. And why that surprises people now, and, and it's shocked, they're shocked. And it's yeah. like this: this is what God said you need to expect. Christ yeah. told us this was coming, and they hated me. They're going to hate well, you. Yeah. Well, we're know, we're up at the yeah. Justin, let me let me let you. I'm going to let you uh, finish up, and then we're going to close out the show. We are at the two hour mark. I like to end on time. I know our audience hates that, and they like us to go longer. But we did promise Dave we'd we'd go two hours, and want to you know cut him loose and let him be able to to get to his family. But uh, you know, so why don't you finish, and then I'll wrap up the show. Okay. Well, one thing I want to point out is that we're talking about just war. We're talking about self defense and whatnot. Uh, the ultimate self-defense is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because every single one of us are going to stand before a holy God. And I don't care what you do, you're not going to make it out of this world alive. You know, it doesn't matter what we do, we're not going to make it out of this world alive. And so when we're de- having these debates, it's among Christians, a, fam- a family-friendly debate, the discussion, to, to seek to understand how we should live and act. And as all of us have said here, the most important priority is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if you don't know Christ as your Savior and Lord, 
if you die right now, what's going to happen to you? Mm-hmm. I'll tell you, you're going to stand before a holy God. Mm-hmm. You're going to stand before a holy God in judgment under the wrath and condemnation that you deserve because all liars will have their part in lake of fire. No thief or blasphemer in the kingdom of heaven. And you and I, every one of us, we've violated and offended a holy God. It doesn't matter how good you are or how bad you are. It doesn't matter if you're Taliban or if you're Joe Biden. It doesn't matter if you're anyone in, in uh, anything in between. When you stand before a holy God, how, what's it going to be like for you? You need Christ as your Savior because he's the only one that can tell you why we have a just war theory. He's the only one that can consistently tell you what it means to be holy and right in, in the sight of God. And he's the only one that can make you right through the gospel, through his sac- sacrificial sacrifice on the cross for you. Now, if you know Christ as your Savior, you, what should you be doing now? Should you be preaching against the government and everything else to a point? Yes. But your main sermon had better be everyone needs to know Christ. Everyone needs Christ. It doesn't matter who you are. That's where our churches have failed. We need to get pick up that cross and, and follow it today. And, and this was a thing, Justin, that you and I tried to bring up several times uh, uh, when we've dealt with some of these issues with folks, is the fact that the gospel is the issue. We, we, are, we submit to God first and then government. And if we don't yes. get that order right, we're, we're going to be woefully wrong in, a, in the application because what's going to be is we're going to let our pride make the decisions, what we want to be right. And we need to submit to God first. Uh, now I know that for some folks, you, this we've we've just kind of opened the can of worms, right? We've just kind of peeled back a little bit of the onion. Uh, th- this is the thing with this. This is not easy to work through. Uh, Justin, you you just heard what class you should be taking there at, at the seminary. Um, That's next semester. <laughs> yeah, so you better sign up for that. Um, but but seriously, the, the, this there's so much involved in this. Even with with Ron's question that he asked, it's it's asking a question because there's not a clear answer. There's a lot of questions you need to get answered first before you can answer something. So the the challenge with this as a way of application when it comes to apologetics, you need to think through the issues. You can't just come to quick conclusions because you feel it's right, or you read one scripture verse and that answers everything. Uh, One scripture is enough as long as it's within context. However, the issue is, is that applied properly to the situation you're in? There's a lot more that we usually have to take into account when we look at these things. A lot of people are taking knee-jerk reactions on what to do. And what bothers me the most, you know, I go back to what, what was occurring back with Jim Coates up in there in Canada, and people were saying that his, he was wrong, you know, saying that you know, there were those that agreed with the way uh, Arthur Pulaski was handling things. There were people that agreed with the way uh, Jim Coates handled them. Two very different ways of handling it. Uh, you know, but the question is, and, and this, uh, you go back to First Peter 2, 11 to 17. What's he doing? He's talking about your, you know, our holiness, our testimony, submitting to government. Th- there's more to submission to government than just whether we submit or not. Right. We, 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 we answer to a higher calling as Christians. We have to be good ambassadors for Jesus Christ. And so when we do things, we are to do it to represent Christ well. In fact, to the point where Peter says there, uh, I think it's verse 15, yeah, verse 15, for such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing. It's not about us promoting our rights. 
it, it is about us promoting Jesus Christ and letting him shine, even maybe in a dark time. And that's a hard message, and I understand that. But may it be an encouragement to, to you to know that many, many, many believers have gone that same path before us and have done right and silenced the mouth of the ignorant. And so, when we're answering these things, or you know, maybe we need to say, are we submitting to God in this? What, what's our purpose in in our view, whether to submit to government or not, or the specific issues? And 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 ask the question: Are we going to be in our behavior getting people to say, "Oh, look, that's just a, a prideful Christian," or are we going to get them saying, "You know what? I got nothing to say. Look at how they're behaving." So it's not for us to think about until next week. Ne- next week, uh, Justin, I'm trying to look at what we got on the schedule here. For next week, I believe we have um, – next week is the – that's right. Next week we have Justin Peters coming in. We're going to be doing a uh, response to uh, Sam Storm's article. Sam Storm's did an article uh, basically saying to, that you should or could uh, sing Bethel music and Hillsong in your churches. Uh, as folks here know, Justin has been against that, and we're going to let Justin give a response to that um, and we may pick up some other topics that we may discuss. Um, but uh, I hope, hope you come back next week for that. Remember to strive to make today an eternal day for the glory of God, and we'll see you next week.